0: This is the Heartland Daily Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the podcast. This is Anne-Marie Schieber of Healthcare News, if Obamacare is working, why does the Biden administration want to help families with medical debt? Today, I have invited Devin Herrick. Uh, Devin is a healthcare economist and scholar at the Goodman Institute for Public Policy Research. He is also a policy advisor to the Heartland Institute. Welcome, Devin. Well, thanks for having me. Well, Devin, um, this came out in April, but it's still relevant um, and it will be ongoing. We'll probably hear more about it in future months. But there are four actions involving this debt relief executive order, which we're going to talk about uh, one by one. Uh, first, though, I want to start off if, if Obamacare is doing what it is intended to do. You know, it's called the Affordable Care Act Act. Why does the White House have to step in and help people with medical debt?
1: The Affordable Care Act is, is not accurately named. In, in fact, it is increasing medical debt. And the reason is it is increasing medical debt is because of the regulations that require insurers to cover all who apply at community rated premiums with no penalty or no risk rating for pre-existing conditions. Um, for example, in my case, I, my deductible is $8,700, and my premium is roughly just under 7000 So what that means is I have to spend nearly 7000 and then another 8700 before my insurance even begins to help me. And a lot of Americans are in the same boat that I am.
0: Yeah. So, you know, I, I'm in the same situation. A lot of self-employed people do it that way and they would rather go out if you don't spend that kind of money. Uh, what's the point of buying insurance? So, you know, uh, that, that's, we can talk about that for hours, I'm sure. But I want to get back onto this particular directive. Now, the first action Uh, the administration wants to take involves holding medical providers and debt collectors accountable for what they call harmful practices. Now, many consumers are familiar with this. You get an astronomical bill. You cannot call the hospital or provider to negotiate. You're dealing often with a third party. Uh, You were not told about the bills. Um, And so, you know, when they come out with Things that are going to protect consumers—it sounds like a great thing. In fact, the fact sheet the White House points out that the federal government pays one point five trillion dollars into the healthcare system. So, how is it that any provider is asking for extra money?
1: Uh, well, the the situation you're talking about is is all too familiar. I mean, I, I was just talking to somebody the other day that said they got a call from a bill collector, and she said. Um, I have never gotten an invoice. And guess what? the bill collector would not give her an invoice. She would have been happy to pay it, but without an invoice, how do I know what I'm paying for? so we we need it, it is true that hospitals, especially, are not very good at <laughs> the customer service, and they are not very good at having bills that are easy to read. And I think that is a big part of the problem. but at the, at the same time, we we do have issues with high medical bills, and it's very hard to understand them. I mean, 30 years ago, I was in charge of a business office at a hospital that was creating those bills, and I can't even read those bills. <laughs> so I think that it's not just high prices, it's also that a lot of providers are not very good at communicating with their customers and communicating in a way that their customers understand. What they owe, why they owe it, and is it in fact a legitimate bill?
0: Yeah, you know, I, I had this experience um, personally not too long ago. I went to a hospital employed provider, a doctor. And they sent me a $1,900 bill for a $20 cortisone injection. (laughs) And I went to my uh, internist who happens to work at a direct primary care and he sent me a bill for $20. But when I called to challenge this $1,900 bill, I couldn't reach anybody. I couldn't get an explanation how they came up with that, that charge. So I get it, you know, when consumers are very frustrated by this and like I said, uh, I'm sure many would welcome this kind of action coming from the federal government, but you know, the primary question is, why are we getting these bills in the first place? Um, the second action is preventing unpaid medical bills from interfering with your credit rating. Now, I guess this is related to the first action, I suppose. Um, do, do you have any concerns with this? I mean, would it send a chill to providers You know, I'm reminded of the apartment rule that came down during the pandemic where the CDC said that it would prohibit foreclosure or um, evictions of anyone who didn't pay their rent. And what ended up happening is today, if you want to rent an apartment, you have to, it's like applying for a mortgage. These lender, these uh, landlords require all kinds of financial disclosure because I'm sure they don't want to be in this situation again where they're going to get a tenant who doesn't pay the bills. I mean, could something similar like that happen in healthcare that all of a sudden you're going to have to prove your financial worthiness because they're not going to be able to go after you in any way or... Um, you know it's not even going to ding your credit record
1: yeah that that's that's rather scary in a way i mean I, I understand the the desire to to you know help people who are sick you know not be hounded and lose their houses and all this kind of kind of issues that we occasionally hear about, but at the same time, somebody has to pay for our health care system it has a lot of problems it is overly expensive but still if if nobody pays <laughs> there will be no healthcare system so it, it's a it, it's like two sides of the, of the same coin most people do need to pay their bills at the same time there does need to be really not just greater communication but greater transparency i mean your example is is very telling you had no idea that you were going to a doctor that in fact was a part of a hospital practice. And what happened was you apparently got a facility charge as though you were going to the hospital ER. (laughs) And and that's not right either, obviously. So I think the, the first of the year, as you know, as of the first of July, health plans must disclose what they pay hospitals and doctors and clinics for a variety of procedures. The first of the year, health plans must provide the tools to use that data, and I think if that is done in a meaningful way, that will go a long way to prevent people from running into these problems, kind of like you did. Uh, I mean, it's 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 easy to see how there is really it, it's you know in a way it's abusive of patients, and, and I personally believe that a lot of medical debt is due to patients who perceive the bill as being you know unjust yeah and they thought the insurance should pay for it maybe or maybe they don't understand it or they just see the twelve dollar tylenol or the fifteen hundred dollar facilities fee for a twenty dollar injection as being just something that is not right and in in many cases it is not right
0: yeah yeah well, again, it's, it's sometimes more than the affordability issue. I would not pay the $1,900. I sent them what I thought was a fair amount, and I said, if you want any more, sue me. <laughs> and I haven't heard back from them, so I don't know if that's going to work. But in any case, um, <laughs> the, the third action is related to forgiving medical debt of low-income veterans. Now, the White House said that this would involve about a half a million vets, um, and this gets into why the VA is not taking care of veteran medical needs. Um, do you have any thoughts on that?
1: Well, as you remember, back about I don't know 20 plus years, the VA was hailed as the model healthcare system for everybody. You know, this is the this will serve as the model for what the U.S. healthcare system how it should work. Well. Three wars later, they've discovered that, in fact, you know, it, it's not a model for even for the kind of care veterans should get. It, it, I think I read some statistics last uh, the, last week about more than half of the VA's care was actually farmed out to the community mm-hmm. or, or sub subcontracted to the community. And so, so yeah, they're, they're getting behind, and they they really cannot keep up with. The level of, of demand.
0: Well, there are um, notorious waits to get into a veteran care facility. And that Mission Act was um, gave vets an opportunity to seek outside care. And so this care is getting more expensive. And now the VA wants to clamp down on that. So Again, you know, I remember asking uh, <laughs> kind of our boss, John Goodman, <laughs> about this, and he said, well, it's, it's an example of rationing health care through waiting, and that's what the VA does. So, you know, that's a whole separate issue. Um, the final action is informing consumers of their rights through the Consumer Financial Protection Board. Now, there doesn't seem to be anything to debate here, but again, why does the government have to do this in the first place? I mean, we don't worry about informing consumers of their rights in many areas where the free market is able to work fine.
1: Well, yeah, you know, that, that is a good point. And to some degree, uh, medical indebtedness is a very sympathetic area, um, and it goes back to that idea that nobody should ever have to reach for their wallet during a medical encounter. But yet, you know, as, as you well know, if there was ever an area of our economy that justified taking on a, a bill, taking on a debt, it would be for our health. If we take on debt for boats and, and you know, pickup <laughs> trucks and cars and motorhomes, and all kinds of things, <laughs> yeah. uh, consumer goods, but we act like if I have to take on a debt to save my life, somehow that's unjust. Well, if there was ever a, a justification, that would be, you know, he- our health would be probably the top of the list, and, and I have some data on, on the type of medical debt out there, or, or the amount, I should say. I um, mean, you, you probably saw the report from Kaiser Health News that came out maybe a month ago or less about medical debt. It said 100 million Americans have medical debt. Of of people with medical debt, 16% owe less than 500. 18% owe less than 1,000. Okay, 22% owe between one and or 1,000 and 2,500. So according to these figures, three fourths, three quarters of the Americans with a medical debt, owe oh, less than $5,000. And I'm not saying that I want to, I want to have a, you know, go to the doctor tomorrow and get stuck with a $5,000 bill. But at the same time, we we borrow money for things that are, are far, you know, less a priority in our lives. Yeah. So, it, so, I mean, there, I'm not saying that some people don't have crushing medical debt, who should get some relief, but at the same time i I think the the dollars are overblown mhm
0: mhm yeah, and i I think you hit it on the nail earlier when you said it's not so much uh, of, about affordability but the issue of fairness and and people I think are willing to pay debt for fair for fair charges um you know someone may not have any problem going out and spending a half a million dollars on a boat and come up with the money, and they don't have to get all kinds of warnings from on their consumer rights and so forth, and there's no problem. But medical care is different. There's so much um, uh, vagueness with the billing practices that I think it really throws people for a loop. So, and again, all these areas where the government is heavily entrenched, like higher ed, buying a house, what else? And, and medical care, you always have these problems popping up. So, and then it's just fixing the problem the government created instead of getting to the root cause of it, which is the government itself. All right, uh, before I let you go, um, well, there are two more things I want to ask you about, but maybe, um, do, do you want to comment on Rep. Pete Sessions' help bill on healthcare? I know John Goodman, who co-publishes Healthcare News and um, you know the Goodman Institute, is really excited about this bill. It, it is very um, reminiscent of the bill that was defeated in 2017 with uh, Senator Bill Cassidy. Uh, but this bill just pretty much hits it hard, goes after what is really wrong with health care. You, are you free to talk about that? Do you want to give a couple of comments on it?
1: Well, I think John has always said what Americans really need is is access to health plans that meet their families' needs, and that is precisely the opposite of what the Affordable Care Act did. I mean, the ACA decided, you know, one size fits all, and here's how it must be, because we want to create a mechanism to redistribute income from those with more income and money from those with more health. Um, I that what we really need is access to the types of plans that meet our families' needs, not a public health advocate idea of what every family needs. And yeah. I think that's an important part of what what this is trying to bill is trying to do.
0: Yeah. All right. Well, well, we'll I guess cross our fingers for the next Congress because it's not going to happen this time around. Um do you want to talk about the blog before I let you go? Uh, it's really cool. I mean, you've got some great articles on there. Why don't you tell our listeners some of the things that you've been writing about?
1: You know, John and I have worked together for and for quite a few years on on health blogs. Um, this one here is a new one that we just established. It's the Goodman Institute health blog. And the domain name, the address to get there is just Goodman healthblog.org. And we publish probably seven or eight articles a week. And we also publish, say, maybe three times a week, a list of, of of other health articles, you know, things that maybe we don't want to write about in depth, but that readers might want to, to know has have appeared. For example, yesterday I wrote about how the Federal Trade Commission is trying to block hospital consolidation. Uh, Let me see, I I wrote about, you know, antibiotics. For example, new antibiotics are desperately needed. Why drug makers won't develop them? Well, you know, I had heard this for years. I had no idea. It's, you know, the big push to limit the use of antibiotics to prevent um, drug-resistant bacteria also means that drug makers don't want to risk the money because if doctors won't prescribe them. Yeah. How do they sell them? <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah, and you know, and it's just like what what happens is, you know, I wrote about like a couple of maybe last week I wrote about how diet and exercise, you know, neither one, you know, a good diet will not, you know, substitute for lack of exercise, and exercise will not mitigate a bad diet. It's it's just like every day John and I find something that we think readers would like to hear about
0: yeah yeah well there's a lot of cool things to write about and you know you're definitely going to get a free market perspective from this blog and um, you know I know it was it's written more for just lawmakers legislators but the general public so it's a it's a very educational um, resource and I would invite our listeners to check it out and we'll include a, a link on the podcast notes for that thank you so much Devin Herrick it is always a pleasure to talk to you and you'll have to come back well, thanks
1: well thanks for having me
0: great and and listeners thank you for tuning in we welcome you to become a regular subscriber of the Heartland Daily podcast you the link If you enjoyed this discussion, um, have a great week, everyone. And we'll be back with another topic in healthcare news. This is Anne Marie Schieber.